All right, time for the kids coming up front. Find somewhere to sit. All right, come on up. Find somewhere to sit. Ready to listen? A few more. Keep coming up more, guys. There's room for you. All right. So I have something to show you as we start as we start here. I have here a rock. All right. Okay, now if we were gonna describe this rock, we might say that it is hard, right? That it's firm. That it's unbreakable, good word, that's strong, it's unchanging. And if it was a big enough rock, it would be unmoving, right? It would be set there, right? So think of like a big, huge rock cliff. That would be unmovable, right? It would stay there. So if this rock was big enough, you could stand on it, couldn't you? You could stand on it, right? It would be a firm foundation to stand on, and it would be solid and secure, it wouldn't be wavering or tippy, right? It would be solid. Also, if this rock was big enough, like a big rock cliff, you might even be able to hide behind it or under it, right? If there was something coming against you, you could hide. Maybe there'd be a, a cave carved out of a rock and you could hide in it. It could be a place of shelter and refuge and a place of hiding, right? The rock could provide a place of protection and safety and security for you, right? Well, Psalm 18 today, which is what we're going to be preaching, speaks of God as our rock. One of the places it does that is in verse 31. It says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? So when David is writing this, when he speaks of God as our rock, he doesn't mean God is a literal rock like this, something you can touch and hold. He means God is like a rock to us in our relationship with him. He has similar characteristics to a rock for us in our lives. And so if God is a rock to us, that means that he is strong and unchanging. He's immovable. It means that he is a strong foundation for us and we can stand on his word and stand on his character, his ways, and who he is. Our lives are grounded. They're not wavering or tipping. He is a solid place for us to stand, right? Our lives can be established and secure. If God is a rock to us, that also means that he can be a shelter to us, right? He protects us. He provides us a place of security and rest in him. And so when we believe in God, when we put our trust and our confidence in him, he is our rock. He's like a rock to us. God is our rock through faith, through our belief and trust in him. So when David says, the Lord is my rock, he's expressing faith and trust in God. So all other things that we put our faith in are like slippery slopes. Have you ever been on like a, a really steep hill that's muddy and it's really slippery and you're sliding all around? right? That's like other things we could put our faith in. They might crack or break or fall apart, but the Lord God is a rock. He is steady 
and sure. He can be trusted. And so I encourage all of you, we want to put our faith and trust in God who is our rock. All right? Pastor Jeremy is going to come and preach through Psalm 18. So you can go back and sit down and keep listening as he preaches. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. Good to see you, kids. Uh, I was thinking as I was reading and rereading Psalm 18, and David here is worshiping God. He's uh, stacking up word after word. This is no quiet, reflective, introspective kind of worship. This is exuberant, outward, full-throated, full hearted that if we ever see a a likeness of one of the saints in the Bible, like a picture, obviously we don't have any actual pictures, but they're always like perfect. They're translucent. They're beautiful. And um, and so we think that like, that's what we should be as Christians, I think, like beautiful people. And yet we, we know David wasn't that. He was a man of blood. He wasn't allowed to build the temple because he was a man of warfare, a man of blood. He was a shepherd. He stunk like sheep. And yet here's a man giving himself sweat, soul, and body to the Lord in worship. I think if we would have seen David singing this psalm, we would have been embarrassed by him. Um, and so, that's one thing I want us to consider as we look at this. I'm going to read the entire psalm. It takes about five minutes. And so sit back and listen or read along. I want, to, I want you to hear this, you know, shepherd, dirty, zealous, Man of God, worship the Lord. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darknesses covering his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coal of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. 
And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure. And with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people. But the haughty eyes you will bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. And your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under my feet, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed they cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them as fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like mire out of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of nations. People whom I have not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies, yes, who exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Let's pray. Of a Father in heaven who saves, our souls long for your salvation. Teach us now to hope in your words. Our eyes look for your promise, and so we ask, God, when will you comfort us? When will you judge those who persecute your people? The insolent dig pitfalls for us. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are perfect. They're sure. And yet we are persecuted, so help us. God, they strive to make an end of us on the earth but we will not forsake your word. 
In your steadfast love, give us life that we may keep the testimonies of your mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we see at the title of the psalm, and again, be reminded that these titles, that is that bit that comes above verse 1, are actually part of Scripture. This is something inspired by the Holy Spirit through a Spirit-inspired servant, David here. And David writes, again, uh, to the, the songmaster, that is, to the leader of worship who is a talented man of music. Now, David names himself a slave of the Lord. He's a king, but he's got a king. And before that great king, he's but a slave. And so we're reminded again that this is the reality for all in Christ. We're slaves. And then, brothers and sisters, this is what the prophets and the apostles consistently reminded us of, that they're just slaves. And this helps us to listen to them. Yes, they're chosen by God. Yes, they're filled with the Holy Spirit to inspire the actual written words of God, but they're just slaves. So we can listen to them. Because you can give yourself to somebody who's a slave, right? We can't stand people who continually remind us of how great they are. But we can give ourselves to somebody who is great, and yet continually reminds us what a slave they are. And that's what the Word of God has given to us. So David wrote this, and, he, and we're told here in this psalm what we're not told in many other psalms when he wrote it. David wrote this, when the Lord, on the day when the Lord had rescued him from the hand of all of his enemies, from the hand of Saul. Well, when was that? We actually know, if you turn to 2 Samuel 22, if you, so if you go back, you have the six books that tell us kind of the history of the kings of Israel, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. We're in Second Samuel chapter 22, and you'll notice when you get there that the title to this chapter is David's Song of Deliverance. And if you were to read Second or Second Samuel chapter 22, you'd be reading just about exactly Psalm 18. So Psalm 18 and Second Samuel 22 are the same with a few minor wording changes. And so what comes before it is what David means that God had finally fully rescued him from all of the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That now we see here in 2 Samuel 22, at the end of David's life, 2 Samuel 23 begins with these words. Now these are the last words of David. So this is right at the end of David's life. He has fought and fought and fought enemies. And now finally, at the end of his life, he's been given rest. And he sings a psalm rejoicing in the God of war who has delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies. And the main enemy that David had been delivered from is the hand of Saul. Just before this, at the end of chapter 21, in verses 15 to 22, there's a a war with Philistines. And if you go through it, four Philistine giants, descendants of the giants, are killed. And it seems like that's the end. The Philistines have finally been subdued. And so David's sitting back, realizing it's over. It's over. And his mind, I think, begins to recount his life from his days as a shepherd when bears and lions attacked and he killed them with his bare hands. 
to when his father sent him to bring some food to his brothers as they were fighting the Philistines. And there was the giant, Goliath, taunting the armies of Israel and all of the armies of Israel cowering in their tents. And David goes and sinks a rock into the giant's forehead, takes the giant's sword and lops off his head. And they post his head. He remembers that. God delivered him. He remembers going out and leading the armies of Israel against the Philistines and defeating them such that when he came back, all the women of Israel saying, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. To the days when he's hunted by Saul like a dog. He's fleeing and hiding in caves. And how God delivered him time after time after time from the hand of Saul. And when God installed him as king over Judah and there was a civil war breaking out, And God subdued his enemies, and the kingdom was united for the first time under David, and he reigned in Jerusalem over all of God's people. At a time when his own son, Absalom, rebelled against him, chased him out of the kingdom, took all of his wives to bed on the top of the king's house, Yet even his son before him was defeated and David was brought back as king. Time and time again, David remembers all of these victories. And that's what David's singing about. So David's endured. If you can put yourself in David's shoes, this is time, these are times of incredible anxiety and fear. This king he served Saul now hunting him with a mighty army, and David's got his little band of a couple of thousand. Imagine the fear, or his own son, and the betrayal of that. Or all of these mighty Philistine armies and these giants, and him having such great concern for the nation, or being the king of a fledgling nation, and all of the political maneuverings behind his back to supplant him. Can you imagine the, the fear and the anxiety? And then imagine at the end of life, looking back on it and seeing time and time again in the middle of it when there seemed no hope, no way out, no way back, no way forward, nowhere to go. And there's God again and again and again delivering him, miraculously saving him. And so David praises God. God has never abandoned him. That's the one thing he learns. God is a rock. He is a fortress. David's proven this. And so David praises him. And so one thing we can learn right away is that we as believers, we are who in the the ultimate David, Jesus Christ, we have to do what David had to do. We have to endure in faith. There will be many times in our lives as believers where it looks dark, bleak. Our sin is too much. We've done it too many times. My marriage is too hard. He just doesn't understand me. She doesn't meet my needs. The kids are too rebellious. The money is too small. We don't know how we're going to do it. The workplace is too awful, too demanding, too harsh, pays too little, doesn't care about me. The world is going to hell. Everything's going south. 
And yet there is God, the rock, the fortress, my deliverer, my stronghold, the one who spent his son for me, delivering from my sins. And what do we do? We praise him. We give him thanks in all things. Because at the end of your life, you'll look back and this one thing will be true. God has never failed. God has never disappointed, finally or fully. God has always prevailed and he's always brought us through. And even when we're facing the final enemy death and we have doubts and fears and terrors of what it's going to be and we're looking that great enemy right in the face, we can know without a doubt that God will bring us through that too. That's what this psalm is about. So David begins in the first three verses just introducing this with these words, rock, fortress, deliver, rock, refuge, shield, the horn of my salvation, stronghold. Like David's just gushing praise, having recounted all these victories. This is God. The one thing about God, he doesn't disappoint his people. He doesn't fail his people. He's a rock. That's his intro. Then in verses 4 to 19, the problem Cords of death in verse 5, or verse 4 and 5. Torrents of destruction and God's rescue. Basically, if you read verses 7 through 19, here it is. God is willing to wreck the world to save his people. He'll come down and wreck everything to rescue us. David's using very poetic, hyperbolic language, smoke and rocking mountains and terrible thunder. God would destroy everything to get to us. Now, it's true for you individually, but it's true for his people corporately because we're in his son. And then there's this interlude in verses 20 to 30 that God's ways are perfect. His rules are righteous. And that David has never ultimately turned from God. David has sinned. He sung this song after he had committed adultery with one of his closest, most prominent warriors and then murdered him. But David never ultimately turned from God. He had, the, the tenor of his life had been sin and repentance, but he loved God's law. He wanted to obey God. And this little interlude is, Reminding God's people that the humble are blessed by God. That those who strive to keep God's law by faith are often blessed by God. And then in 31 to 45, the victory. God has strengthened David's hands for victory. He has destroyed all of his enemies in verse 40. In verse 42, he has pounded them into the dust. So, young boys, this is good to be a Christian. <laughs> God strengthen your hands for war. Young girls, it's good to be part of a faith where God is a warrior and gives you victory where you're most fearful. David boasts, he praises God for these great victories, and then he ends in verses 46 to 50 with a doxology, a praise of God. God has only and ever been the God who delivers him and defeats all his enemies, so God be praised. So that's the psalm. It's a long psalm, 50 verses of high, energetic, 
forceful praise. Let's begin with verse 1. I love you, O Lord. I love you, O Lord. As I was reading and rereading the psalm, probably on the 10th time I read it, that, those three words struck me. I love you. If you remember who David is, I, I don't want to like paint too high of a picture of this guy. But he's a, he's a guy. When I was a teenager, we'd say, he, this guy's a dude. He's not a, a wimp. He was a shepherd. He was an electrician. He wasn't in management. <laughs> he, he was a maintenance man. His hands were dirty. His fingernails were packed with gunky. The, the orange goo soap couldn't get off all the junk. He was a fighter. He had pluck, courage. He was a guy. And he wasn't ashamed to say, I love you. Before the people of God, I love you, O Lord. He didn't just sing songs about loving God. He said it to God, I love you, O Lord. Now, David loves, and this whole entire psalm is about why he says that. He loves God because God first loved him. He loved God because God is the one who came to him, the youngest of all the sons, and plucked him out of the shepherd and set him as king. He loved God because God always delivered him. He loved God because God first loved him. God is all love towards his people. Don't neglect that, brothers and sisters. David didn't first love God. God first loved David. God first loves us in Christ, and so we love God. So, brothers and sisters, do you say those words? Husbands, do you tell your wives, like, several times a day, I love you? If not, why not? You know I have an answer for that question, right? Do you know why you don't? Now, we could psychologize and say because your mom and dad never said it to you, and I'm sure that's part of it. But ultimately, it's because you just love yourself so much. You're so self-protective that you don't realize your wife, your children, or wife, if this is you, that your husband and your children or your friends need to be regularly told, I love you. I love you. And so David, this shepherd, this man of war, this man who ran to meet Goliath, who squared up a stone in the middle of his forehead, then cut off his high end, giant sword, came back and before the people of Israel said, I love you, O Lord. And so we start with God, don't we? I love you, O God. Why? Because from of eternity past, he has set his love on me, on us. Who are we? Who are you? The God of the universe 
loves you. And he doesn't hide it. He doesn't leave you guessing ever about it. He put breath in your lungs this morning, clothes on your back, and gas in your tank, and here you are. He has communicated in every way, I love you. We've sang songs where God has said to you, I love you. And we are in his image. We are being redeemed and recreated back to his image. And you as a 14-year-old boy can't find the love for mom to say, Mom, I love you. Why? Come on. We're Christians. We know love more than anybody else has ever known love on the face of this earth. We do, right? God is not stingy in his love. He's not quiet about his love. Right? He's not subtle. The heavens declare the love of God. Every word and every page of the Bible written behind, underneath, around the words is, I love you. And the one thing you can do for the people closest to you, just say that. Now do it too. Don't be a liar. Don't be the kind of person who just says it but doesn't do it. And also don't be the kind of person who just does it but doesn't say it. Like the old joke where the husband at the 50th anniversary said, I, I loved you in our wedding day and if anything changed, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you again. Like, no, you, you just say you love you. And so those of you who are with somebody in your life that is very near to you and very dear to you and they don't say that, bear up underneath it. This isn't a call for you to demand it of them and to pound those into submission until they say it. But it is to realize we need these words. And so I was thinking, there's a Wednesday morning men's Bible study and a Friday morning men's Bible study. Do you guys tell each other you love each other? Do you? I'm in a Tuesday morning one. I didn't mention that one. <laughs> yeah, I love you too, Chris. Gals, I would harangue you about this, but I think you say this easier. Um, I observed something this past week. A brother came to visit a sister who's older, 50 plus. And the brother just came to visit, popped in. And I was just observing. Just chit-chatting. He left saying, I love you. When he left, the sister was singing, my brother loves me, my brother loves me, my brother loves me. Isn't that wonderful? So brothers, you need to tell your sisters you love them. You are shaping and forming so much their view of themselves and their view of how guys love them. Quit harassing them, your sisters. Like, tell them you love them. Daniel Gillingham? I love you, Daniel. Right? Daniel Vandergallion? Do we have any other Daniels out here? Tell your sisters you love them. Sisters, tell your brothers you love them. Let's not be stingy with those words. 
All right, so let's, after that, take a step back and see David's embarrassing worship. It's a long song. One of the commentators said its energy is unflagging. It's got pace. It's swift. It's full. The words come fast. It's, it's tireless. It's tireless. David declares his love. He's, he's not holding back at all. He declares the glory of God. Turn, if you would, back to 2 Samuel, but this time go to chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is where I think we kind of Scandinavian sort, lacking melatonin Midwesterners. You can't say white anymore. Like we can learn from other ethnicities and kind of denominations where they are very exuberant in their praise. David in 2 Samuel 6, the ark is being brought back to Jerusalem. And in verse 16, the ark came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. (laughs) They brought the ark. David, in verse 17, offers burnt offerings. It's distributed to all the people. Then the people departed at the end of verse 19. Each went to his house. And in verse 20, David has to go home. <laughs> oh, to the wife who despises his worship. David re- returned to bless his household. But, but Michael, it's noted the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. We've all been in this. <laughs> how the king of Israel honored himself today and before the eyes of his, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants. Female servants is one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. May God grant us vulgar fellows who shamelessly uncover themselves. May you men embarrass your wives regularly on Sunday mornings. (laughs) Where you got to come home and get a tongue lashing from the wife because she is so ashamed that you would worship and sing like that. Right? No, wonderful. And don't forget again, who is David? He's He's no wuss. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands. Why do men raise their hands in worship? That's what God tells us to do. We lift them. We praise him. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. You want to see the passion of men come out? Watch a fight. Men will ashamed themselves in arguments. I watched a video this week of two men fighting on the road, road rage. They're just going to blows. They get done and they shake hands and walk away. <laughs> That's guys. And instead of that kind of anger and quarreling, we bring it in the worship of our God who is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed to come to this earth and 
stand in our place and take our lies and our lusts and our greeds and our gossips upon himself and die. And so David's worship was embarrassing. (laughs) How do you apply that to you? Well, do you love God? Now, I'm not saying everybody's got to look the same in worship. I know there's different personalities, and but something ought to come out every once in a while. Maybe maybe it's just a smile for you. Maybe a smile would be like your wife going, or your husband going. Maybe it's just a smile for you. I don't know. Maybe it's a little, but whatever. Doesn't it have to come out? This great God. This God who has done what he's done for us. This God who promises what he promised. Doesn't it have to come out somehow? And so do you love him? Do you have affection for your father in heaven? Men and women, boys and girls, do you care for him? Do you delight in him? Do you realize what he's rescued you from? Do you know what he has plucked you out of? And do you realize that you didn't deserve it? There's nothing in you that commended you to him. He did it because he loved you. He did it because he chose you. Psalm 18 is teaching us how to love and worship God. I believe it may also be helpful to those who struggle with anxiety and fear and worry. I was thinking about a lot of that this week. We're starting a school. It's been a ton of work, especially for the three teachers. And they have often spoken about their anxiety and fear. I've been thinking a lot about this. There's people in our congregation that this is a a constant issue, a battle, fear and worry and anxiety. Don't forget, again, David is at the end of his life. He's come through one last victory over four giants. He's looking back over all of his life, alone in pastures as a young teenage boy with animals that could eat him by himself. He's thinking about Goliath. He's thinking about Saul's murderous desire to take his life. He's thinking about becoming a king over a divided nation on the verge of full-on civil war. He's thinking about his own sin of adultery and murder, his son's betrayal and death. He's thinking about the future of his nation as his son's son. Like he's got all kinds, I'm sure, of anxieties and worships, uh, anxieties and fears. Sorry, can you imagine the strain And now at the end, what does David see? What does David see after it all? That God has only ever been a rock. He's only ever been a fortress and a deliverer. 
a refuge, a shield, the horn of my salvation, a stronghold that every time he called upon the Lord, the Lord delivered. That the Lord rocked and reeled the earth. That God's anger against his enemies caused him to show up in powerful ways and deliver him. Every time that the Lord was his support, that the Lord delighted in him, that the Lord is full of mercy, that when he was in darkness, the Lord lit it up, that the Lord gave him what was needed for the battle, that the Lord alone lives. And so David probably realized at the end of his life that all of the anxiety, all of the fear, all of the worry, all of the sleepless nights, all of the what-ifs, We're completely unnecessary. Now, you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You probably know in the middle of your fretting and worrying and thinking of everything that needs to be done and everything that could go wrong, you know that it's not right and that you shouldn't do it. And so what do you do? Well, I think you go to Psalm 18. You fight fear and anxiety. You go to it and you hear again that God is your God. And he is the one true living God. And that he lives. And that he is your strength and rock and fortress, deliverer, refuge and shield. He is your salvation. And there's nothing in heaven above or earth below that can separate you from his great love. And so we have to realize that the, always the issue behind our fears is unbelief. There is sin. We do have to be careful by, of being deceived that we're just victims in this. We're not. That our fears and anxieties are just coming from nowhere. No, they're often coming. They are from the devil, of course, but they are from our own unbelief. So we do have to confess it. We have to repent. We have to fight for faith. We have to ask others to help us fight. To remind us of what is true when we don't really believe it at that moment of terror. That the God of Psalm 18 is the God who came as a man, who lived a sinless life, who died in our place for our sin, who was raised from the dead, who ascended, who reigns on high. Somebody said this week, kind of mocking, a, this is a Christian against other, saying against other Christians who just have a high view of God's sovereignty. I wonder if the Christians in Afghanistan wonder if God's reigning right now. That is that God is a God who has just cared more about free will that he's kind of backed off. And I, I think it's exactly the opposite. That the one thing they need to know more than anything else is that the Lord is the Lord who reigns there. And nothing is happening to them that hasn't happened to all of the prophets and apostles and saints that have come before them. And God has been their God. That they can read Hebrews 11 and see all of these saints who died not having received the promises. 
Some sawn in two. (laughs) And endured in living faith in Jesus Christ because God is their God. So I think Psalm 18 is one of the helps to your anxiety and your fear. To sing it. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And so shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us now. Help us to have faith to see the reality that you are the Lord who reigns. You are the Lord who is near. You are the Lord who loves and gives what is necessary to endure. And so give us faith to endure the difficulties, knowing that at the end, we'll, like David, look back and see your faithfulness, your warfare on our behalf, and that our hands might not fall limp. God, help us to be a help to others who are struggling in the midst of a battle right now and are afraid who are losing hope, maybe despairing, that we might be a comfort to them, that we might sit and listen kindly and patiently and tenderly, that with tact and appropriateness, we might remind them that their God is the God of Psalm 18. And God, I pray that you would give us strength and to love each other well by saying how much we love each other. And that we would praise you, the God of Psalm 18, who is worthy because you have saved us. And so, God, give us that grace. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit to proclaim with all the saints who have come before that you are our God and that you are a rock. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the charge is this. First, tell those that you love that you love them. Start with God. Husbands for their wives. Wives for their husbands. Parents for their children. Children for their parents, siblings for each other, and brothers and sisters. Tell each other. Second, fear not. Fear not. The Lord your God is with you. To him who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to God and to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. May the God who gave us faith, give us faith to live in light of his coming. When every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all tribes of earth will wail on account of him, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. God bless you and the Lord. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.